outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 342. Today on the show, I am joined by professional archer, avid bow hunter, and YouTube phenom, Chris B., to discuss competitive archery, mental strength in the moment of truth, and epic road trip hunting. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. Today, we've got a fun show for you as I'm joined by Chris B. Now, Chris is a fellow Michigander and uh proud to say, a fellow Michigan State alum. And well, I don't know if he's an alum yet. He's a Michigan State attendee and uh, a guy that I started taking notice of a few years ago through his popular Be Real YouTube channel, where he showcases all sorts of pretty epic hunting trips and archery videos and various other fun antics. And he's doing a a very good job with it. It's, It's good stuff. It's fun stuff. In addition to the hunting and shooting media he produces, he's also a professional archer, having been a Vegas shoot finalist and having had multiple national and international podium finishes. So, in short, the guy's a hell of a shot. He's a balls-to-the-wall hunter and a very good storyteller. And that, in my mind, is the recipe for a good chat. So, today with Chris, we talk a little bit about his competitive archer history and the ways that shaped him as a hunter. We discuss some of the lessons he's learned along the way about archery and competition that have helped him perform in high-pressure situations like hunting. We dive into archery advice and practice regimens. We finally spend a lot of time actually discussing his most recent hunting season, which involved uh, just, it was an insane hunting season. He had a DIY road trip to Alaska, a three-state tour across the West in uh impressively rigged camping van. Uh, He had more whitetail hunts than I think you can count on two hands. Uh, And across all that, we touch on his favorite gear. We talk about camping food, hunting lessons learned, tips for planning hunting road trips, and a whole lot more. So that is what we have in store for you. And during times like these, while we're recording, which is in late March, amid the whole COVID-19 pandemic, I think we need conversations like this more than ever. You know, it's it's one that's full of optimism and fun and some escapism, and it's just jam-packed with something that we love so much, which is hunting. And we need a little more of that love and excitement right now, I think. So get ready for an escape from the bad news and an invitation to dream about your next hunting trip, too. I hope you enjoy it. 
and we'll talk to you soon. All right, now on the other side of the line with me, I've got Chris B. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's a, uh, it's exciting. I'm excited to, to be talking on this. I've listened for a long time. That's awesome, man. Well, well, thanks for listening and for making the time um, to do this. I guess a lot of us have maybe a little more time than usual since most people are on lockdown here at yeah. home, given the crazy things. Now, you're you're in Michigan, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not too far from uh, from you. Yeah, so we're we're underneath the same government stay at home shelter in place order. So we we're not even supposed to be going to the pro shop, going to the hardware store, doing anything Nothing. anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got that text last night. Pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, so basically all we're allowed to do is have Skype phone calls to talk about hunting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, not that bad. <laughs> yeah. It could be worse, I guess, in that case. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so you're, you're somewhere in like mid Michigan, right? Give or take. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm just east of Lansing. Okay. Um, and then I do a lot of hunting like right around the Lansing area. So. Awesome. Awesome. You're not too far from my buddy Furter. He's uh, east of Lansing a little bit too. So okay. you guys yeah. might be bumping to each other <laughs> in that general region. Um, Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. So you're, I, I've been kind of aware of you now for a few years, watching your stuff on YouTube, thinking it's pretty cool. And I, I, I've had you on the list as someone I wanted to talk to for a while now. And after your 2020 hunting season and seeing all that and just being really horribly, bitterly jealous of you <laughs> in a lot of ways and thinking to myself, man, this crispy, I, I don't like him at all. He's doing everything I want to do right now. I <laughs> um, uh, was crazy. Uh, you, you had a heck of a year. So, so yeah, I want to talk to you about last year. Want to talk yeah. to you about some of the things you've got going on right now from an archery perspective? Because I think there's a lot of people similar to us, locked down and wanting to do something productive. And yeah, working sure. on your archery game, I think, is a pretty good thing to do right now. So I want to dive into a lot there because you've got this background in tournament archery, and I want to yep. I want to kind of hear a little bit about how that started for you. As I understand it, you got into hunting at a young age, and then pretty quickly got into the the target archery stuff. Can you give me just a really quick rundown of kind of how that began for you? Um, what that looked like? So I was, um, I was six years old when I got like one of those little tiny fiberglass, you know, red bows shoot in the backyard. Arrows really don't stick in the target like that type of setup. So I shot that for like, you know, for a year or so. And then, um, I found a local club. It's actually Livingston Conservation Sports Association. Okay. Um, and it, that's not too far from me. And my dad got um, me plugged into a uh, youth program up there. And I think I was seven or eight when I started doing that. And it's like you can basically like borrow a basic recurve and you can shoot Saturday mornings and like you can score if you want. And so it was kind of cool, and that got me, like, involved in a community aspect of archery at, like, super young age. So that kind of progressed, like, several years later. I got a bow for Christmas, um, a compound bow, and uh, kept shooting. And then I think I was 10 years old is when I shot my first tournament, like, just a local state tournament. Um, And that's the first year I shot a deer also with the bow. So they both kind of were happening at the same time and it just kind of escalated from there like you go to a couple local shoots and then you know you keep getting better and better and then someone says hey you should go shoot you know this tournament out of state and you're like 
okay, let's go explore that. So we went, we went to a couple out of state tournaments and went to nationals and kept upgrading equipment. And, uh, eventually by the time I was in like 14, 15, 16, I was on like United States archery team for like their national team, which is the top five in the nation. Um, so I was on that from age 14 through 19 every year. Um, so traveling all around and stuff. And then when I was, when I was 16, actually, that's like when I had my first quote unquote sponsor, um, I did really good at an event in Vegas. And, uh, whenever you do good in like a big event or anything, it, it just, it just draws eyeballs on you or whatever. So people are always, their sponsors are always looking. So anyways, um, Hoyt actually picked me up when I was 16 at the Vegas shoot. So from there, that kind of spurred my professional career, I guess you could say. And I started shooting um, more in the professional divisions and traveling around and everything. So, And you went to, am I right, you went to Michigan State? Yeah, and technically, I'm still going. <laughs> nice. Go green, man. That's yeah, my alma mater yeah. right there. Oh, really? Right on. I didn't know that. Yep, yep. Awesome. I'm a uh, 09 graduate. Okay. Right on. So, so, so you're still, you're still going. You guys have oh, got yeah. class canceled though now, right? Oh yeah. I don't, I'm not taking any classes this semester, but yeah, all the, um, everything's canceled. Everything's shut down. Yeah. Everyone I believe had to be moved out by April something, beginning of April. So yeah, it's pretty crazy. My wife actually works at Michigan state. So oh, uh, she's, huh? she's pretty tapped into what's going on and every day I'm yeah. hearing the different things and pretty nuts so yeah my uh camera guy bryce who does a lot of my stuff he's he's a uh sophomore at michigan state so nice he's uh he's all pushed around now yeah it's a it's a great place i love uh it's nice my wife works from home most of the time but she does go to the office once a week or so and uh i sometimes go up there with her and work at a starbucks or something and it's just a good yeah. excuse to get back up there and and uh just Relive the gold glory days. <laughs> right yeah. Well, next time after all this quarantine stuff, you should hit me up. Yeah. I go to all the Starbucks by that. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a couple of good ones there. So yes, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to do that. Um, but something you said a second ago, I want to rewind a little bit too. Um, cause you got, you got this early start and then it progressed and you kept getting more and more into it. And it, it, you didn't mention this, but I think as you got more and more into the tournament side of things, you also got more and more into the hunting side too, right? Oh, Is that yeah, true? Yeah, for okay. sure. So that so, was, yeah. that was going on for you. Mm -hmm. I selfishly, and this is going to date me as being an old man now, but I selfishly <laughs> want to ask you about this because yeah. I'm a dad now. I've got a yeah. two-year-old son and I want him to do like the same thing. And of course I don't want to force him anything, but I'd right, selfishly right. like him to do the similar things that you got into. Like I'd love to see him love archery and love hunting from an early age. Um, my dad got me into hunting, but not into the archery side of things. And it was like a very casual thing. He was not, mm -hmm. um, you know, I kind of, I kind of picked it up myself and got really excited about it and got him more into it. Um, nice. So I'm curious for you, you mm -hmm. know, when you were pretty young and it sounds like your family was getting you into this stuff, what were the things that were like most impactful or that, that helped you get into this and become so passionate? Was it just the fact that you got this bow and you were into it or were there other um, things that made I mean, it? I was, I was super into it. I mean, I really, I enjoyed it and I played other sports through, um, through elementary and middle school like I was I was active in other sports along with doing it so it wasn't like my only thing um but nah it was it was definitely something 
something I was super passionate about. And I, th- I think because it tied in with hunting so much at first, because like my dad's a big hunter. We live on, we're, we're this, we are the classic deer hunting Michigan family. We live on 10 acres. We have another 14 acre chunk. You know, we hunt out of the backyard. We have several tree stands on the back. So we would go hunting all the time. And, uh, my dad got super into, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Tony LaPratt. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So we've gone to a lot of his stuff. So my dad got super into food plots and hinge cutting and deer management and everything. So on our other chunk right down the road, um, we kind of went crazy on that. So not only like deer hunting at a young age and I'm t- like eight, nine, 10, 11, um, we would go like multiple days in the summertime and just like go to town over there doing food pods, hinge cutting and everything. My dad was self-employed, so he can, he was kind of flexible. So (laughs) we spend like days, you know, just going crazy over there. It's, it's, it's pretty cool looking over there now years later, but yeah. So I was super involved all the way through and, um, on like a parent standpoint, my parents are just super supportive of it. Um, never forceful. I, I, and now like now that I'm older and I see, um, kids and helping kids and a little bit of coaching here and there, it's super important just for parents not to be like forceful on things. Like you, you, you provide the opportunity and if they bite on it, then you support. But I see so many kids that, um, you know, it's just like the satellite coach parent, you know, and it's like, they're just so forceful and like, you got to do this, you got to do that. And it's like, it's like one, I, I, I don't like to see it because it's just, you know, the kid's doing something they might not actually want, you know, and it just creates, it just creates this friction. So, yeah, yeah. So, probably something that's similar to what you see across all these other sports too, right? Yeah. But you know, a lot of these other sports are, are team oriented. So you, you get away with, um, you know, the team aspect. Archery is so individual, you know, it's, it's practice is individual, tournaments are individual like you could shoot in your backyard like it's it's not very team oriented so there there are some advantages and disadvantages with that it's a good point it's a good point uh i'm curious if you think that i'm on the right path then because i'm trying to take that approach you just said like show support get him excited but not force it um so so my son he's well on his way he's two full years old and (laughs) (laughs) he's got i've got him a little nerf bow with a nerf arrow and he is to the point now where he gets pretty pumped he'll run around the house with his bow and he'll say shoot deer shoot deer he'll go up to the shoulder mounts he'll he'll draw back he'll stop them he'll stop them with a rant and then he'll shoot them with the nerf bow would you say yeah. he's on the right path i, I think you're doing all right <laughs> that's funny oh, it kills me it's pretty funny stuff man yeah. it's fun um so so then what about for other you know younger folks listening i don't know 16 year olds out there someone yeah. who's maybe getting into it or dabbling um, wants to, he has been considering, should I start shooting tart? Should I shoot 3d or should I shoot some league? Um, any advice for somebody who's thinking about getting into this? Is it, is yeah. it something that's going to help people become better hunters? I, I would sure think so. But what are your thoughts on that or any tips as far as what to get yeah. involved in or anything? So I, I did a, um, <laughs> I'm kind of refreshed on this subject cause I just did a blog post on it. Um, but the archery world is like super intimidating to the average bow hunter. 
like there's a, there's a lot of unknowns there's, you know, from equipment to form to even like going in a pro shop and asking for help. Like if you, if you just bought a bow like 10 years ago and you haven't done anything since, like it's, it's super intimidating. So the best thing to do, um, I think in any aspect, if you're trying to find either more help on your equipment, more help on form, um, or like more tournaments league type stuff is try to connect with a pro shop. Um, most of the time, and I understand there are pro shops that aren't as good as others or friendly or, or whatever, but for the most part, pro shops have a very good resource at getting um, you information, you know, from leagues. Many pro shops have like Tuesday night, Friday night leagues you can get plugged into, um, you know, obviously helping with tuning and form and everything. But then, I mean, online, like there's so much stuff online now. I mean, you could pretty much you could pretty much, if you're that type of person, do everything on your own tuning wise and everything. But I still feel like getting plugged in somewhere is so important. I mean, I've, as long as I've been shooting, I've always somewhat been plugged in somewhere, even if it's like just a, uh, just a club, you know, where you see people every now and again and you, you just go up and shoot. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's important for growth. I feel like in archery, cause you see other people shoot, you see what they're doing. You ask, you bounce questions. You know, if you just shoot in isolation, <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know, it's, I feel like that, that community is so important in archery. It's, it's pretty easy to, to start off and ingrain bad habits if you're just doing it by yourself yeah, too, right? That, that too. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, you, you get on a tangent of, yeah, this, this feels good. You could do this. And you realize that like something's totally jacked up. <laughs> so, and getting a coach is important. Like if you really, really, really want to get good, like if you want to go like the tournament or route tournament route, um, I know guys that have done it by themselves, but it's always hard and they always find difficulties. Um, finding some sort of coach is always super important and you can, and there's resources online. Like you can go on, um, USA archery and they actually have a whole lineup of like certified coaches in your area with like their cell and, and, uh, email number and stuff. So you can actually like reach out to them. Um, but for the most part, hitting up a pro shop, someone will know someone that knows someone most of the time, you know, something will work. Yeah, I, I never went the tournament route or considered that, but mm-hmm. just back to having a second set of eyes on you, I I yeah. wish I had had that because I basically just taught myself how to shoot. Like my dad and I learned how to bow hunt together mm-hmm. and, and it was basically me learning and showing him kind of. <laughs> oh, yeah, and that's and, how uh, it is for the majority. Yeah, and, and, and I, I, I probably learned it all wrong. I, well, I did learn it all wrong. I had a whole lot of bad habits. I just was kind of figuring out as I went. And then over the last, you know, five, ten years, I've had to address all these bad habits and things I've been doing wrong and, and trying to fix that now that I know a little bit more. Right, but, man, if, if I had, you know, if I had been doing it right, 15 years ago, 18 years ago or whatever, it would have been a whole lot easier for me now. That's for sure. Right, so I, yeah. I wish I'd had that, but, yeah. um, it's a, it's a great point you make. And it's nice to know that if you do want to go that more serious route that you can find coaches and, and what's a coach yeah. do? I mean, what's in your, in your kind of line of when they're up to tournament mm-hmm. kind of stuff, I mean, is a coach meeting with you and just watching you shoot and running you through drills and examining your form or, or what, are, what's that? process look like so like for me now um my main coach is down in atlanta so and and i'm to the point like where i don't need like a tune-up like all the time you know but i mean i still need when i go down there like every couple months because um 
Ultraview Archery. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yep. They've been on my stuff a little bit, but they're down in Atlanta too. So I go down there for them a lot and then I get coaching also. But like you show up and, you know, his name's George. He's like, yep, you're doing this or you're doing that. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> like, that's why I come down here still. It's like you're, you're never ending. You, you fall into these bad habits. So they're, they're minor form tweaks or recently it's been mental. So George is really good at, you know, mindset type stuff because archery and hunting i mean there's a reason why there's buck fever you know all buck fever is is your mind you know yeah <laughs> so if you can control that and it's no different in archery i mean like buck fever is so so similar to like when you're super jacked to like you know shoot a perfect round like your last arrow on a perfect round or you're about to win a tournament like mastering that feeling is no different either way do you feel like you've mastered it no <laughs> not even close i don't know if you ever master it yeah. that's the thing it's like this ongoing it, it's just an ongoing battle like this year especially was super hard like tournament wise for me because i like switch bow companies and there's this extra pressure and so so tell me about that what do you mean by that extra pressure is it because is it is it simply because you've got pressure of a new sponsor or is it your growing platform or is it like you feel like, Hey, I really want to be winning these things because all right, it's just tell me I guess. all the above. Yeah. All the above. So like you switch whenever you switch bow companies and, um, I can have a little bit like following's grown, you know, tremendously since the past year. So there's more eyeballs on my personal channels and, you know, I feel like it's not actually the case. I know it's not actually the case, but I feel like I let people down, mm -hmm. you know, when I don't shoot well, like followers or, or whatever. Yep. And then when you switch bow companies, it's like, you're like, oh, is he going to shoot good with the new bow? <laughs> you know, because like you switch and they're always like, you know, is he going to shoot as good or, or better or whatever? So there's like that sort of pressure. And does does Derek Nelson ever like text you and say, man, you really screwed it up, dude? <laughs> I mean, jokingly. <laughs> Just kidding. Nah, Nelson's cool. And uh, it's actually uh, Derek Phillips is uh, is the pro staff manager um, on the target side. So okay. they actually uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them. Most of the hunting people probably aren't too much, but they have like, um, you know, Derek literally manages the pro staff for Matthews. So it's really cool that there's like a whole community side on that. The whole That's tournament. Great. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. So, so tell me, yeah. tell me about what you're doing to try to, I mean, cause, cause we're everyone listening, all of us hunters, yeah. we're always trying to do the same thing when it comes to hunting. I mean, I, I don't think I will ever get tired of thinking about or talking about how to handle the moment of truth. Like there's, that's the yeah. crux of every yeah, hunt. Yeah, it really is. And yeah. the mental side of things is, is both frustrating and kind of fascinating for me too. Yeah. <laughs> so how have you gone about trying to tackle that? What are your, what's your coach say? What are you, what have uh, you been doing? There's a lot. This is like, this is a giant wormhole that you can go down <laughs> quick, especially with archery. Cause there's so, there's so many things it's, it's different. Archery, archery in the typical tournament, you could shoot anywhere from like 30 to, you know, a hundred arrows for scoring in a day. And most of the time, every single one has to be perfect. So instead of just like one shot, like on a deer, like, like I can, I, I haven't mastered, but I gotten pretty good at like pulling myself together for one shot, yep. <laughs> but doing it for like 90 in a row, <laughs> that's, it gets, it gets more difficult for sure. Um, so there's, a, there's a lot of things you can do. Um, I think the most recently for me, like on a personal level has been, um, 
being more intentional with my shooting. So instead of wishing for things to happen, you actually make them happen. So if you're sitting there aiming and you have the pin in the middle and you're just sitting there and you're like, okay, I really hope this goes in the middle. And you're just like going through your shot and then the shot goes off and you're like, okay, did it go in the middle? You know, like that sort of thing. Instead, what I've been trying to do is being way more intentional being like, okay, this is going to go right in the middle, put the pin on the middle, go through the shot. Yep. That went in the middle. <laughs> so it's like, it's all about mindset start to finish from even walking in the door of like the tournament. You know, if you, if you, it, it, it's so sensitive. Archery so sensitive. If you like, if you have the wrong mindset all the way through, it just, it just impacts, you know, your shot so much. So having a different mindset, being more, it's not necessarily confident um, because I feel like you can have confidence, but still have those hesitations throughout the shot, but um, not having hesitations throughout the shot. And I'm not talking about like punching because there's a difference being intentional and being like, okay, right now, you know, that's mm -hmm. not what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about like very, very slight, um, intentional shots. And, and that kind of goes from, I don't know if you've heard of Joel, um, from Joel Turner. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's super rad. Yep. So me and him, me and him, uh, a couple months ago got talking and, and I've known of his stuff, but uh, he really opened my eyes. Just like a 10 minute conversation. I was like, Holy cow, yeah. <laughs> you know what you're talking about? Like I, I, I know, and I'm aware of like everything he's saying, but just like the way he says it and just goes about it. It's like, geez, so I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at um, personally, but there's, there's all sorts of things, you know, mentally that you can do. What, what's something that throws off your mindset? Like, have you had, have you had an experience where you went into a tournament or, oh, yeah. or hell, even a hunt where you yeah. went in and your mind just, just wasn't right. And yeah. it, you paid for, for sure. it. Can you give me an example? As someone next to you could just be like, Oh, I just dropped a nine. <laughs> and you're like, crap. It's like, am I going to drop a nine this one? Uh -huh. <laughs> like, that's all it takes. And then the, the entire time you can or you can't think about it. It's all about how you deal with those type of how external. Do you, how do you get that out of your head then? Oh, there's all sorts. Of, it's like, um, let's see. Okay, so a book um, from Lanny Bassam. It's called With Winning in Mind. He had a thing um, where you have to do a repetition of one thing and only think about that one thing for like eight times in a row. So like whatever it is, if you put your pocket, if you put your hand in your pocket and take it out for eight times in a row, <laughs> and then you only like you literally have your conscious mind only thinking about that, and then when you're done with that sequence, then you forgot whatever you were thinking about. Okay. There's things like that, or you just you know you're just confident with yourself, and you'll be like, okay, well that guy just shot nine, but I'm not going to shoot nine. I'm just going to shoot you know my shot or my arrow or or whatever, and. Um, that boils down to more of um, you can look at your scorecard um, like all at once, like a big picture. But what you really should be looking at and shooting is one arrow at a time. So like every individual arrow is its own and it has its own value and its own score and its own shot. And it's not a culmination of it all. So it's like, sure, it could be a 300 out of 300 at the end, but every single arrow has to score a 10. So all you're in control of, you're not in control of the future, like the next arrow, and you're not in control of the last arrow you just shot. So all, you, all you're in control of is this one arrow right now. So just shoot a 10, just shoot the perfect shot, and then worry about the next one. So when you boil it, when you boil it down 
you know, micro like that, it, it helps a lot too. Easier said than done though, I bet. <laughs> oh, so much. I wish I could just go up to the line and be like, all right, I'm going to shoot 300 and then just shoot it, you know, but you can't do that. So, so walk me through, let's say you've shot your second to last shot and it's good. Everything's been as perfect as it could be. Now you've got your last air of the tournament. It's the, it's the big Vegas shoot. I yeah. saw, I don't, I don't know everything you did, but I saw you were a little bit, maybe a little frustrated with how things ended up this past year in Vegas. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I dropped two and you okay. drop one and you're, you're done. Okay. So let's say it's, it's this coming, this next season. Yeah. You're in Vegas again. You've done it perfect. Now you got your last arrow. Uh, you you step up to the line. Walk me through exactly what you do, exactly what your self talk is. I want to know the exact process you're going to follow on your final perfect shot to to finally do what you want to do. Okay, so last arrow is actually not the hardest, but I will walk it through for me at least. But I will walk it through it. Um, what is the hardest shot? Hardest shots for me are like the first ones. <laughs> <laughs> Well, would it be, would you do anything different from the first to the last, given that scenario? Later? No, you okay. don't do anything different. That's okay. the thing. You don't do anything different throughout the entire thing. You, every single shot's exactly the same, and that's you know it's all about repetition. It's all about consistency. But there's also you know every everyone has a different thing. A lot of people like say things in their head as they shoot. But I mean, I'll, I'll knock my arrow. I'll you know get in like my, my pre draw, which is like knocking arrow release, set everything up. Then you always like, I always look at the target, you know, get essentially acquired with the target because there's multiple um, spots on your target. There's like um, a triangle for Vegas. Yep. So you have to, um, you're not allowed to shoot two arrows in the same target. So, and we, we always shoot in the same order. Like every archer has their own order. So we're, we're always pretty good at that. Um, but every now and again, people will shoot like the neighbor's target or the one <laughs> above them. So you always want to like acquire your target. Like you always lock, lock on on your target. So uh, pre-draw, you get set up, you draw back, and then you always want to make sure you're going going into your shot either um, saying the repetition, you know, sound or sequence that you do once you get a full draw or like a blank mind or something positive. You never want to like go in it with nothingness right? because when, when your mind's not thinking about anything and it's blank, it's super easy to bring in external sources and, uh, you know, get thinking about something bad. Um, so yeah, you, you go into that sequence. And then so what's you just, yours? Oh, it's changed a lot lately. Cause I've been messing around with that, but I've counted, you know, I'm one, two, three, boom. And then, you know, shot goes off, you know, I've sang a song I've sang, I've said, um, there was a little phrase I was saying, I forget what it is. It was a while ago, but it was like one perfect shot one perfect shot or you can say okay i'm gonna do this right now and then you like draw out the last word until it goes off so it doesn't there's no right or wrong with that it's just like you should have some sort of sequence when you're shooting or you're gonna you're just gonna get um you're more um favorable to have like you know external things bothering you um so anyways yeah shot goes off and then you're good. But what happens a lot of times is when you're under that stress, your shots go long. So you hold longer than normal. Then you get under fatigue. Then you start getting stressed. And then shots go off. And those are normally the bad ones. So making sure your shot timing is like relatively the same under those pressure situations is super important. 
So you're, those shots are holding longer just because you're trying to be extra you're, careful you're to make sure you're aiming right? Or well, Yeah. The, the problem with archery, if you try too hard, you're going to fail. Right. That is so <laughs> – yeah. it's like this weird fine line between – Yeah. You, being, can't try, you can't be a try hard yeah, in those situations. Like, <laughs> but you also said like you want to be intentional with it. You want to yeah. like – you know, as Joel Turner talks about, you need to have a process. You have to have you – know, you have to be in control of the whole shot sequence. Mm-hmm. But at the same time – you also kind of want to be like second nature, almost like it's it's like you want to be an autopilot, but you want to be in control. And there's somewhere in between that's the perfect place, but it's really hard to put your finger on it. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm wanting uh, I'm wanting it. you to give me a secret weapon for this. <laughs> Dude, there is no secret weapon. That's the thing. I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. You know it. I'll pay you. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't know if there is. It's just like. You just got to keep going at it. And the more you're exposed to it, the easier it gets. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go. But here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now you probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Now, how much of this translates over to your hunts? When you, like the, the things you're working to get your mind right for your tournaments, how much does that translate to your hunts? Um, it carries over pretty easy. I actually don't, um, like I'll practice with my hunting bow and get everything dialed in, but I don't, I don't necessarily like train with my hunting bow, I guess. Um, and then when it comes to like shooting a deer or something, that's pretty much autopilot. I don't have like a certain, um, formula, I guess. Um, one thing that I have always done over the years is make sure to like, um, aim, <laughs> like pick your spot. Yep. Cause I've been, you know, my younger years known to like put all of the pins on the deer and shoot. Yeah. Been there. <laughs> That's why I shoot, shoot a single pin now. Yep. Um, so yeah, aiming is very critical because sometimes 
when you're just so jacked up, you just kind of like shoot at the deer. Yes. <laughs> so when I, when I draw back, I, I aim like I very critical at, okay, I'm going to hit the deer right here and then shoot. And then, you know, most of the time that, that works out unless external. And I mean, like this year I did have, I wounded, I hit a deer in the shoulder. Um, I hit a deer high skimmed, skimmed its back. So like it does happen. Um, it's just the fact of hunting, you know, it's, you're dealing with a live animal, but, um, how do you yeah. handle a situation like that? Do you being coming from like the level of archery experience and, 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 and knowledge that you have when you have a bad shot or when you have a, whatever it was that happened mm-hmm. like that, a wounded deer, do you have some like hyper analysis you do when you're trying to figure out what did I do wrong in my process? Yeah, or most of the time, or, yeah, most of the time I do know, like I know what happened for both of them. What happened? So the one deer I hit in the shoulder, um, he was super alert and it was 65 yards. And I said, I'm going to hug the shoulder a bunch because I felt like he was just going to run rather than duck. I don't know why I thought that, but I was like, I'm just going to like hug the shoulder pretty tight. And I, I hit right where I was aiming because <laughs> he didn't move. <laughs> so I was like, gosh, dang it. Yeah. So that, that was a, I, I don't know why I thought of that right when I drew back, I was like, all right, put it like right close to the shoulder. Um, and then the other time is mule deer at 74. And, uh, that one I think was just a misrange because he was, um, there was a couple branches like right close to him and around him. So I really think that I just ranged one of those branches and, uh, that was just a total misrange because left and right was pretty good. Do you like, after this happens, you, yeah. you, you take a shot of deer you're trying to recover it you don't find it it's the worst moment for any hunter Terrible. just about right i know that feeling unfortunately too um how do you personally deal with it is it is it literally the next day or that day you're sitting and stewing on this stuff you just told me well, or me so like wyoming was the um the shoulder shot one and it was like a 150 whitetail like the biggest whitetail i would have killed Oof. and uh we were sitting on this edge of a, of a, uh, alfalfa field and, uh, it's super cool terrain out there. It's like mountains. This is like mule deer country. And then in the bottoms was whitetail country. So we're sitting, the we're sitting on the edge, just like watching this field. And it's like, it's getting twilight, you know, there's like 20 minutes left of, of shooting light. And this buck pops out like 400 yards away. So we all look at each other and we're like, we gotta go. So we ran like a mile. It was at least a mile in this ditch, like we ran probably like in 15 minutes, you know, all the way around. And, uh, luckily there was this ditch all the way around this field. And, uh, we got to the point where like, we popped up, we popped up a couple times, but we got to the point where he was and we popped up and he was right there at, you know, whatever, I think it was 55, 60. I forget. It's in the video, but, um, arranged it drew back stood up and he was just looking at me and i shot um so yeah that ate me up a lot because i hit him in the shoulder we went and found the arrow there was like zero penetration um which pros and cons of expandable broadheads i was shooting expandable broadhead with 81 pounds and a 550 grain arrow and i had a half inch of penetration jeez yeah so we followed blood for 300 yards and he started doing circles and we were pretty sure we were like following him around. 
But the problem is, is we had a schedule. So we had to go to Nebraska the next day, like, like the next day, or no, we were going to drive through the night and get there in the morning. Is what we were going to do. So we decided shoulder shot, he's probably going to live and be all right. So we backed out. Well, we ended up finishing our Western tour like a half a day early. And uh, we were only like eight hours away from Wyoming still. So we actually drove all the way back to Wyoming. And we looked for another half day and we didn't find anything. No more blood, no more, no more anything. But we, we went, we spent an extra eight hours of driving to go back to look just for, you know, for my mind really, because my mind was just thinking the entire time in the next two states. So yeah, that's, that's hard. That's just, it's never easy. (laughs) No matter where you, anyway, look at it. Yeah. Especially when it was my fault for like, you know, if I just was aiming two inches farther back, it'd be dead. Do you, do you, I know like talking to other buddies or even in my own situation, I've, I've dealt with this a little bit differently in different cases. There's, there was one time I hit a deer and wounded it and Search and search, never could recover them, and it like just took the wind out of my sails. And I didn't want to hunt for like a week. I was yeah. just like, I, I don't even know if I want to keep going. It just like just it oh, took yeah. me out of the game. And then Dude, there's been other times make you so depressed. Oh, it can, it really can. But then I've had other times where I thought, you know what, you just have to get right back on the horse and like go out the next day and and pound your bow, just like shoot your bow a bunch, make sure your confidence is there, and then get right back after it. Um, yeah. What mm-hmm. what have you found to be what works well for you? If you have a miss or or a bad shot do you want us to get right back after it do you step away usually what's how do you get your mind right after that kind of I mean, um, failure i guess you could call it past couple of years i really haven't had a choice to step away like i've always had trips planned or was on a trip or you know so it's like you can't really take a break you know so my go-to i i always shoot right after like a bunch make sure everything's dialed in and uh once i know like everything's dialed in and that it was like either my fault or an external factor. Like as long as I know what happened, I'm okay. Like as long as I know like the deer's gonna live and I know what happened, then I'm fine. If I like have no idea what happened or it's like I was having a mental breakdown and like punched a trigger, yep. that's no bueno. Um, <laughs> luckily, I've never really had to deal with that on um, like hunting, punching the trigger, target panic type stuff. Yep. So I've always been able to figure out the problem and assess it. Have you ever had that problem in tournament scenarios, target panic or anything like that? So there's different forms of target panic. There's like legit, you can't even aim on the target and you got to like swing into it and punch a trigger, which is like very common. Like you hang high and then you swing down to shoot into it. Mm-hmm. And then there's like um, performance target panic where you you can't aim quite at the middle but you can aim like a half inch or an inch below it, no problem. And when you say you can't aim at that, do you mean you just get kind of stuck there? You get stuck, yeah. yeah. You can't like – but but in practice – so this happens. A lot of tournament archers deal with this. It's very, very slight target panic that can be fixed, you know, like in a weekend of, of training most of the time. Um, but practice, you can aim in the middle. You can shoot in the middle. Like doesn't matter. Like middle doesn't matter. You show up to a tournament – you hang an inch low because now you have this performance pressure and uh, you like, you're scared of the middle. Essentially you don't, you don't want to perform well. You're telling yourself, I'm not gonna, you know, you're scared of the performance. You're scared of the, the first place trophy. You're scared of the the fans. You're scared of the check. Like, so you just like hang <laughs> an inch low 
and you just move your site so you can do that. And, uh, so I've experienced that before. Um, but I've never experienced like just crazy target panic, luckily. Yeah. Now back on that, I'm kind of yeah. jumping around here, but <laughs> you keep on <laughs> popping these different ideas in my mind. So back on the tournament side, you described that performance anxiety of sorts that you've, you've had maybe a little bit of at times. What do you think is, and maybe you don't know, but if you ha- if someone had a gun to your head and said, Hey, Chris, what is the hurdle that you need to get over to, to take this thing to the next level, to get where you want to be? What's the one thing like you've got to crush or the one thing that you've got to fix or what's holding you back? I think it's time. We've had many, many late night tournament, um, over a glass of wine conversations on this, like probably too many <laughs> to think of. And, um, you always, when you, when you analyze it, every major pro, most, there are some like wonder childs, but most of the major pros um, rise right around 27 to 30 years old. And in life, most of the time, right around that age, you either, um, you're done with college you may or may not be married, but most of the time you're like in some sort of like solid relationship. You have some sort of solid income and you have your life a little bit more figured out. So in that part of your life, when you're like a decent pro, but you're not winning enough and don't have enough sponsors to make your living, you really don't care as much how you perform. Therefore, you perform better. You know, right now I understand that if I win Vegas, I can pay off student loans and, and get a really good kickstart. Yeah. So I'm thinking about that when you're, when you're a little bit farther down the line, emerging into it, like I'm talking, I'm not talking about like the professionals that are established and everything. I'm talking about like guys in my situation five years from now that are a little bit more, you know, on a foundation, you know, they really don't really don't care you know how they do but it's it's different so i think um for my personal situation i either need to let time deal with that and sure i'll like progress and do well from now until then but i really won't be fully archery mature until then or i need to you know have that mindset now and just understand that but it's easier said than done yeah how how old are you 22 Okay. So you're 22 and you're talking 27 to 30 is when a lot of people hit their stride. Yeah. Um, all right. So paint me a picture when you're mm-hmm. 27. So yeah. five years from now, wh- what's your, uh, what are you going to be doing? What are you, oh, what's, what's your life like when you're 27? <laughs> Tell me what that goal is. Dude, I don't know. I have some <laughs> goals, but jeez. Hey man, you, you know what you're getting into okay. when you came on here. <laughs> I mean, I, know. I don't know. Right now, I mean, the past couple of years have been pretty awesome. I've been able to turn this into like my full time job, so I'm I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, so the next five years, um, the plan is to grow everything and continue, and whatever opportunities arise arise because of it. Um, I started my YouTube channel when I was young, like 13, 14. But everything around my YouTube, I've spurred so many new opportunities. Like YouTube has always been my my pillar of growth, essentially. 
So I don't know. I, I see myself um, definitely still shooting um, a bunch. I mean, I just love to shoot, so I don't really see myself stopping, um, especially this year. Uh, there have been times in the past, um, really like two, three years ago, I thought about stopping shooting and just like hunting and stuff. But this past year, I really hammered down and uh, I really loved shooting again. So I'm super jacked about that. Um, so definitely going to continue shooting. Um, I love working um, on the business side of things, um, like my own stuff and uh, helping out Ultraview Archery. I do. I help out quite a bit with them. Colby Hanley, who owns it, is like one of my best friends. So we're always um, working on stuff and collaborating. So I definitely see myself diving in more more and more and more into the business side of things um hopefully growing youtube channel beyond i mean right now we're kind of projected by the end of summer to reach 100k subscribers awesome. so that would be rad um so yeah you never know i don't know i really don't have a game plan it's a thing <laughs> i just am kind of like know what i have to do like today and tomorrow and that's about it <laughs> i hear you <laughs> i have like I this you. end this end vision but i don't have like a you know solid solid plan right now anyways so you're doing this full-time you're filming your hunts for youtube you're vlogging you're showcasing your your tournaments all these different things and you're also you know participating in these tournaments and and all that is this it's kind of a dream job for a lot of people right yeah mm -hmm. pretty close to a dream job for you probably then right yeah a dream job i didn't know that was a dream <laughs> i just kind of like i it just kind of like happened. It's crazy, but yeah. It's funny though. You talked earlier how there's this sense of added pressure once you start, and I've once you start kind of getting this thing, and I've definitely mm -hmm. felt this too when I started building my platform, my audience. Um, I all of a sudden felt this whole new pressure around everything I was doing, and if I, you know, if I didn't had the success in the field that I thought I was supposed to, I'd feel like I was a failure, or that I was letting mm -hmm. people down, or people would like think I'm an idiot or, or, or not worth, you know, listening right, to right. or whatever. So I know the credibility. I, yeah. yeah I, I totally get it. Yeah. I know what you're going through there. Um, but it's, it's some days you're like, Oh man, this, this almost takes some of the fun out of this thing that used to be just a fun thing to do. Right. Um, when it becomes a job, yeah. but then at the same time, I have to pinch myself and remind myself, man, you know, don't ever lose the fun. Don't ever let yeah, that happen. You have a standard nine to five, you know, oh, and doing it on the weekends. It could be way yeah. worse. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely a catch 22 there, but <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm managing that. I'm trying to figure that out, you know, navigating it, but, uh, it's been good. It's been fun. It's, uh, this year or you can keep going. We can dive in. I have so much I want to like touch on real quick about this hunting season because it was crazy. But well, yeah, I mean this yeah. this is a nice segue then because it's yeah. funny. Um, you're 22. Yeah, I'm, I'm 32. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I was telling you before we started recording this, uh, watching your season last year, I just was really jealous and it's it's weird I, I shouldn't be jealous because i have my dream job i'm super lucky to be able to, to make a living in this industry of this world too yeah. um but you know i have certain obligations that keep me from doing a whole bunch of the crazy stuff you're doing which is yeah. awesome and i wouldn't trade what i've got i'm very very thankful for for everything i've got going on in my life and my family mm -hmm. and everything but i do wish that when i was 22 i would have taken off on a season like you did in 2019 and uh and just 
just looks like you had a hell of a good time, man. So, so I, I, at some point I've got a couple more archery questions that I'm probably going to circle back to, but on the 2019 hunting season, first line up, like give us the high level 30,000 foot overview of of everything you did in 2019. And then I want to dive into some of the specifics, but we first got to understand the scale of this epic tour of the country. 2019, I decided I was going to spend all of my money and go everywhere pretty much. So I pretty much went all out. I went to 11 states. I had 12 buck tags, and my goal was 12 bucks because Levi Morgan shot 12 bucks last year. No joke. <laughs> I was like, who? You know, and, and this, this is a touchy subject too. It's like, how many deer can you actually shoot? And it becomes unethical. Yeah. That has been like a, that has been a turning thing in my mind. But anyways, I, we can talk about that later. That but my is goal a very is interesting point. Yeah. Um, so I started in Alaska in August, shot a caribou, total DIY, met these guys through our archery tournament. They invited me out, barely have spent more than 30 minutes talking to them before. And, uh, just totally went up there. We spent 24 hours together driving up all the way to nearly Prudhoe Bay. Um, it's so over the counter caribou tag, yeah. spent 11 days out there, shot one, um, other guys almost shot a couple. We flung a couple arrows. They're really hard, <laughs> especially, especially out there, the way we were doing it. It's like the wild west. Yeah. The hall road. I, I definitely uh, want to hear dude, more about the, the hall road. It is the, I did quite a bit of research before. And one guy explained it as the budget friendly Alaskan dream hunt. <laughs> like Yo. anyone can do it. I think I spent, uh, two grand yeah. doing that. So it's not too bad, um, for the Alaskan hunt. So, uh, that was rad that I definitely would do that again. Um, it was fun. It was a fun time. You saw incredible things. We saw muskox, um, caribou, obviously we saw a grizzly bear. Um, and you're, you're in Alaska. Like it, you know, like it was no joke. Yeah. Like sure. We were on the hall road back and forth. Um, and we would, we would run that hundred mile strip like all the time. Like it, it was intense. So, but, uh, so I, I looked into doing that hunt at one point a handful of years ago. I was doing a bunch of research and reading, and uh, and yes, it sounds like it's a heck of a great budget opportunity. But then I did hear from some people saying that it can just be like a shit show with all sorts of people. If, they, if the migration's crossing the road, everyone's in the same yeah. place, and it's it hard to get away from other people. Is that that's true? It can, it can be. It, it can and it can't. So we had we went the week after opening week. Um, and I think opening week was a little more busy, but uh, we probably only saw 20 trucks the okay. entire time, wow. 20 to 30. Um, but the thing is, is where the caribou are, the people are. So like there was one time three big bulls in a group. We found them first because we were just driving and then like, oh, there they are, you know, 400 yards off the road. So we park and uh, – And the way the hall road is five miles on each side is archery only, like from the ditch, from the ditch, five miles. You just can't shoot them like standing on the road. And, um, so we run after these caribou, we get all set up, they're feeding towards us. Like it was going to work. Like it was just going to work. We were each huddled down to like this rock cause it's flat. (laughs) So there's like this little rock and we're we're huddled next to it. And then sure enough, a freaking diesel comes strolling up parks just running so they're all looking at it and then another truck pulls up and they're like get out and they're looking at them and then they run around or they they turn around and 
run back and they try to swing around and then they all spook, you know? So it's, it is, it is kind of challenging. And even the one that I shot, um, we saw from like three quarters of a mile away. I have no idea how we saw it. Um, but we started hiking after it. And before we knew it, we looked back behind us and there's two guys up on the mountain, like back behind us. And we're like, great. But we were in this, I talk talk about it pretty blatant in the video, but I'm like, yeah, I think we saw them first and I think we're ahead of them. So I was like, we'll just keep going. And if we run into them, then we run into them. But we were clearly after the same one. So we go and we get in a position and we're like, yeah, they're still like, you know, 300 yards away or so. It's like, we're going to try to kill them. So we, we dive down around this little, luckily we had some terrain. So we worked around this terrain and, uh, get to where maybe he was about a hundred yards away and it peeked over and he wasn't there. So, uh, you can't really see it in the video, but he actually got spooked by the other hunters that <laughs> swirled around. So those guys actually did us a favor wow. and the bull ran straight towards us on top of me, like 30 yards, like right on the little, it, it was just like a little hill that he was on. And this isn't on video, but I actually drew back on it at like 30 yards. And I looked at the camera and, uh, my buddy I was filming and he wasn't filming. <laughs> I was like, I was on his heart. Like, Oh my gosh. Like I could just smoke him right now. And I was waiting for him to get the camera on. And I let him walk right by. <laughs> oh man. So then I let down and he runs right by my buddy with the camera, like right by him, like 10 yards. Jeez. And then I run over to him and circle around and then he starts videoing and the whole deal. And I whiffed and missed the shot at like 50 because he was moving around yep. and my range was wrong. Those caribou never stop ever, ever stop. It's they're always moving. Um, so then I quickly reloaded and by the time the caribou knew what was up, he had an arrow sticking in him. And, uh, then he ran to a hundred and he was just like wobbling there at a hundred and I ranged him and smoked him and, uh, he dropped. So that's how that happened. Yeah, that was I, I. I saw part of that of that hunt up until you got the shot, and that was pretty crazy. Um, and that terrain, I mean, I, you it's just flat. yeah, it's flat, it's wide open, but huge vistas. I mean, beautiful in its own kind of stark way. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to beat Alaska as far as yeah. an experience. Yeah, I totally recommend it. And there's ways you can like rent vehicles in uh, not Anchorage. What's what's the one just Fairbanks? North? Fairbanks. Fairbanks. Yeah. You can rent in Fairbanks. You can fly into Fairbanks, rent a vehicle, drive up. Um, but the buddies I knew lived in Anchorage. So I drove all the way from Anchorage. Nice. Was, that was a haul. So first Alaska trip, right? Yeah. My first big, like big adventure type trip. One out of 10 rating. Did it, did it hit 10? Did it hit your expectations or what? Nine. Nine. Eight or nine. We were thinking we'd see more caribou. Okay. And well, uh, but that's hit or miss with the migration. Yes. You know? Yes. I, I don't mean to make you jealous, but on my caribou hunt, I probably saw ten thousand. Yeah, um, we saw maybe two hundred. <laughs> uh, no, but that's still pretty cool, man. Yeah. That's still no. Pretty it cool. was cool. Yeah. So, so yeah, what happened next? Uh, then we went to uh, Kentucky early season in September. Um, I brought little Cooper with me we always go on a hunt every year that was kind of a bust um and then we went to oh then we went to texas shot a pig out of a helicopter that was pretty rad with the bow wow and uh then we went to then we hit the western tour so the western tour um quigley kind of sponsored it 
um, let us bring out their four by four machine, which was awesome. Um, it was, it was so rad. Yeah. We got to talk about that. uh, Yeah. Um, because so you, you were going on this multi-state Western tour and, and a Quigley for those who aren't familiar, it's like a big, big, uh, camper van or big conversion van that was tricked out for this kind of thing. Can you walk us through what that van setup was? Yeah, so it was uh, two bunk beds that flip down on the side, so you can put them up for storage or travel or whatever. And uh, there was four seats, so driver, passenger, and then like a half row in the back. Then there was like a bunch of storage. Um, There were solar panels on the top, so the whole thing was power. Like the van didn't need to be on, and like power. Like we ran a microwave. (laughs) Like you could you could do whatever you wanted. Um, And then we actually put a, a sleeper little sleeper topper on top. Um, so yeah, it was fully functional for four people, like four people could run out of it. No problem. Um, now quickly hooked you guys up with that, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. do you have an idea what it costs to, to buy something like that? We did research cause we were curious. You can buy like a stripped out transit van for 30, 25 to 30, like a pretty new one. Okay. Um, and then all the renditions we were thinking were like 25 grand. So not cheap, so, but not. You know, not, not much cheap, more than. But you buy a brand new truck, right. you know. I mean, I don't know. It's not for everyone, but you you can also do it. You know, the budget friendly way. You get kind of a beater and four by four conversion and rig it out. You know, for probably twenty to twenty five. Then you got yeah. a sweet hunting rig that you can live out of. Now you don't have to pay for hotels and everything. Yeah, it's it's a really cool way to do it. I've been very tempted. I've looked at looked at vans for a while thinking about doing something like that because I yeah. love I love just going on my hunts and sleeping in the back of my truck and, and that works great but yeah I sometimes wish you had more room <laughs> yeah yeah no it was it was cool so we started we started in Wyoming um, hunted there for six days um, we tagged out one out of three tags there Wyoming was rough um, then we headed to Nebraska we were three for three on studs in Nebraska. Um, we hunted there for four days, shot three. And then we went to South Dakota, hunted there for a day and we shot two bucks. That was crazy how that happened back to back. Um, and then we drove home. (laughs) So how many days is it total? 14 days of hunting. 14 days total. You hunted three different States. You had bunch of guys we, bunch of yeah, tags. We had, yeah in every state we like new people were like joining us so it was pretty cool so i gotta believe the people see these videos on youtube or they're listening now and they're wondering how the heck did you pull it off i mean lots of people go on a western yeah. hunt and they research and they plan all year and they've got one place and they try to find yeah. one place to hunt and uh they're happy and lucky if they get one shot and you guys hit three states, all these different places. Yeah. Um, were these, was this public land? Was it private? Was it with buddies who knew these places? Like what was all that? So Wyoming was a buddy's lease. Um, Nebraska is a friend's property and South Dakota was walk-in hunting. Okay. And so there's a little bit of pre-intel on some of these spots and some figuring out on your own? All of them were, uh, South Dakota was a little bit of Intel. Um, some buddies from Wisconsin, we met out there and they've hunted there a year prior. Um, but it wasn't like here they all are, you know, it was like, all right, we can hunt, you know, these chunks or whatever, these chunks we know. Um, Nebraska, Wyoming, we know like the back of our hand, Nebraska, we know pretty well. Um, so those were like, 
you know, pretty familiar with South Dakota was totally foreign to us. Which part of the state was that? Southwest? That was north. North. West. Yeah. It's cool stuff. Of those three states, what's your favorite? Nebraska. Well, Nebraska or South Dakota? South Dakota was pretty awesome um, because there's a lot of walk-in in public ground. And uh, you're getting into like a different kind of Western feel. Like Nebraska is probably my favorite just because we go out with uh, my buddy Tim and it's just like fun hanging out with Tim and there's like tons of deer um, and there's giants like everywhere behind every tree. That's nice. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, he's got some sweet pieces of property. Um, Yeah. I don't know. But Wyoming is cool because it's, it feels like out West, big mountains, you know, we see elk, we see mule deer, we see everything, but I don't know. They all kind of have their own, their own deal. I, I hate naming favorites. Everyone's yeah. like, what's your favorite state? What's your favorite? And I'm like, I don't know. It's like, they all kind of have their own, own thing that I love about them. Yeah. You know? I understand that. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself. And you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You've hunted, sounds like a few of these states before, Nebraska definitely before, Wyoming before. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that you learned last year on that front on chasing muleys like that and in some whitetail too um yeah come away with any any lessons learned or anything mule deer we kind of got a formula down for nebraska now the way that nebraska is is where we're at there's uh lots of ag fields and then just like on the edge of an ag field or or like in the middle of it there's a pasture and literally it goes down like it's like negative space if it looks like almost so what we'll do is uh, we'll get out there in the morning early and we'll sit on a uh, – and it's this is pretty standard, but for Nebraska, it's a little different because you can't get like on a mountain 
and look in the morning, you know? So we'll just get in the pasture somewhere where we can see like kind of the farthest. Um, and then we'll see them normally drop down in and bed down in the pasture and then go through it. Um, you know, try to put a stock on it or, or whatever. Um, but the past two years, the same exact thing happened. Um, my buck last year, my buck this year, we were actually just driving around in the truck in the pasture. Cause they're all, they're literally like cow pastures and we would bump accidentally these bucks out of their bed, like just driving one place to another and be like, Oh yeah, they're bedded right there. There they go. Okay. Let's put a pin right there. And the next morning we would go look over that same spot and they would come back and bed in the same spot. <laughs> so it was kind of interesting. And this year we didn't bump it a hundred percent out of his bed, but we were driving. It was, um, just twilight at night. We were just driving back to camp and, uh, we saw this buck just up on the ridge and we we're like, he had to have just gotten up out of his bed to go to the, um, go to the fields. So the next morning we set up kind of in that area, just overlooking that whole thing. And sure enough, he came down, um, just in one of the draws and that stock took a long time. And, uh, another lesson I guess is I've slowed way down. Um, there's a lot of times, you know, this is my fourth year mule deer hunting. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not a master or don't know a whole lot, but all I know is you really have to slow down and you really can't go slow enough if they're bedded. I think I took three hours to go 200 yards. Wow. And, uh, cause we had to work, work these rim edges of these, um, cuts essentially. And they're not huge cuts, but it was just big enough and just steep enough where like you couldn't see them entirely. So we would, me and Bryce, Bryce was like right behind me filming. We just worked really slow around these like four, um, four cut rim edge. And finally on the fourth one, um, we saw him luckily. And then I worked my way down and shot him at 65. And so had you, you'd seen him from across the way said, okay, I think he's better there. And then you circle the way around or, or how did that work? Yeah. So we saw him coming off the cornfield, probably 400 yards away, worked down into the cut, um, and then disappeared. But the thing was, is there was these four big cuts that we saw and we we're like, well, he could be in any one really. Cause gotcha. he could have just like weaseled around and laid down and, and these cuts, they're like, they almost look like, um, we're in Michigan. So, you know, when there's in the farmer's field and they just planted and it's kind of steep, and we got a big rain yeah. and it like washes out and it's yeah, like the all erosion. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Yep. Uh, it looks like a big version of that. Yep. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And, uh, so there was like four of these and we're like, well, he could be really in any one. And, and there's these deep little spots that can bed right around. So we knew he could be in the first one or he could be in the fourth one. So every single one in every single corner, you just have to act like he's going to be right there. You know, if we just like blew through it and we're like, ah, he's not in that one, he's not in that one, he's not in that one, we would have busted him. Yeah. You know, he either would have hurt us or something. So he's, I don't know. And, and last year also, um, I slowed way down on my buck because similar thing happened. We watched him come up over this um, little hillside and dip down into a cut, but we couldn't see down in the cut. It's like same exact situation. So we had to just work the edge super, super slow. And uh, that probably took an hour. So, and a, another thing, it's like in Wyoming, I wish I practiced this a little better with patience is we had one opportunity at a mule deer for six days, like one solid opportunity. 
And uh, I kind of like rushed it because I was like, it's first morning. Like I just rushed it and uh-huh. uh, kind of blew the stock. So it was like, if I spent like a half a day, like, or the whole day just trying to kill this one buck in a spot, we would have killed it. But instead we tried to kill him in 30 minutes and we blew it, <sighs> you know, and, and, and therefore we wasted six days, you know, or not wasted, but we then spent the next six days going at it. So if I just spent one day or like the half a day trying to just like really ninja in on this buck, it would have worked. Other than going slow, what else do you do to be a ninja when you're stalking in on them? Do you do you go as far as like throwing on stocking sacks, taking off your shoes, or uh, anything like that? How about wind? Did wind play into any of these? How you're dealing with so, thermals or anything like that? What else is going through your mind on that stock? This year, my Nebraska mule deer, it was like dead calm, which sucked because it was super. It was dry. It was dead calm, and it was like that grass, that hollow yellow grass. Yep. Like every step was just crunchy so uh i don't like to take off my boots because one time i took my boots off and uh like wore my socks to stock in and well one you can step on a cactus and really jack yourself up mm-hmm. um two the buck spooked up but then ran around and stopped and i could have if i had my boots on i could have hauled butt around and then got back on them so if i were to ever um do that i definitely would wear the moccasin type things i would never like just do socks yep but um i just go slow like i'm like slow i'm talking about like heel barely touching and then you feel make sure you're not stuff stepping on a stick and then you like roll your edge of your foot down <laughs> yep. make sure nothing's crunching and then go all the way down and then shift pressure onto that foot and then you do the same thing the next foot i mean that's what we did for like three hours straight like it sucked, but you got to act like every single little, when you're in a situation like that, you have to act like every single little thing is going to be bedded behind. So yeah. uh, maybe that's too much or, or not, but in those type of situations, all it takes is one little thing, you know, it's just like white tail details. One little thing can jack it up. I think that's why it's so exciting and, and addicting because all those little things matter. You just got to yeah. be so on point. Um, so you did 14 days, you guys, 14 have days, 3,000 miles. Um, I think we got seven bow kills on film. That's a heck of a haul. Uh, out how nine, out of nine? Yeah. How, what about gear? What about travel? Um, I gotta believe you came out of this with some favorite gear or some things that just absolutely saved the day or that now I'll never, I'll never do a hunt like that without this or a little hack you figured out anything like that, just as far as hunting trips like that, that, that stuck out. Yeah. Um, I pretty much wore like the same stuff. I run, um, sick of gear mountain pants pretty much for everything right around like that middle October. Cause it's like just a little cold in the morning, but then yep. it's pretty hot. Yep. So th- those pants are just killer. Um, and then I talk about this a lot on like my channels, but my favorite jacket and I wear like all sick of stuff, not all sick of stuff, but mainly sick of stuff. Um, is the Kelvin light hoodie that yep. Brown. I love that hoodie. It's like, if people are like, what one piece would you buy? If you could only buy one piece, I really think it would be just that one. Because you can wear it for uh, insulator for whitetail, an outer for lighttail because it's pretty quiet and it's fine. And uh, all those mornings glassing, uh, kind of like in that mid-season, it works awesome. And I've shot so many deer wearing that jacket. It's like definitely 
my go-to. Um, out west, out there, you definitely need a solid pair of boots. Um, I run Kenetrex. They're, uh, I bought them used or got them used, and uh, they were good. Um, really haven't messed with many others, but it, I think that's pretty common. Everyone says you always need a good pair of boots. Yep. You really do. You know, you can't you can't be tromping around with with whatever unless you're unless you're just a special breed like that. There was a rancher out in Wyoming, <laughs> and uh, he came out hunting with us for a day, and he was in uh, Skechers. <laughs> it's like bro what are you doing Good for him. he does it every day so it's like he's like whatever yeah um yeah i don't know there's so much uh, one one major um takeaway is every year i bring less hmm. like my first my first time out west i brought so much and uh every year i consolidate and consolidate because i brought this year i brought like recreation clothes that i never even touched like i could have you know eliminated a whole suitcase pretty much mm-hmm. um there's just there's just things every year that i consolidate because you just really don't need it like when you're hunting like that like literally we hunted 14 days straight all you're doing is hunting you're not you know sun up to sundown we were trying to kill something and uh you're just not spending a lot of time doing other things so it's like remembering that for next year and packing wise, you know, really consolidate on things. Do you, do you bring any emergency archery repair stuff? Uh, yeah, very minor stuff. What, what would you, what would you consider like must haves that someone should bring or, or any backup pieces or accessories or anything like that either? Rather so than like backup pieces. I would, um, I would mark on your bow, like your, your peep site, either like you measure your peep site or you put a little Sharpie mark on your, um, like where your peep site is on your bow. That is like the number one thing that gets bumped. Huh. I missed a deer a couple of years ago because my peep site like got bumped or moved, like slid down the string yep. and uh, missed it low. Um, so that's like the number one thing I would recommend. Um, peep sites really not falling out. Uh, your rest could get bumped, but you really can't like just throw a new one on. Um, my equipment's pretty hardy. Um, I don't even bring like an extra bow. I probably should, especially on a trip like that. Yeah. Um, especially if I have one. Um, I really don't have too much extra stuff that I bring like that. Um, it's funny you say the bow thing. I've always thought the same thing. Oh, I should bring an extra bow. I should bring an extra bow. Yeah. But then it just comes down to space and wanting to, to keep it as minimal yeah. as possible. And how I, I guess look left at home. it, it's like, your bow is going to blow up and it's going to be like unusable or you're, you're going to be able to like fix it with like whatever you have. <laughs> like it, I think of the same way as a tournament, you know, it's like your bow is going to break like to a point where you can't fix it. So you're going to be screwed or it's going to be something super, super small that you can fix easy. Yeah. If the bad thing happens, it's just not your day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, what about food after 14 days on the road? What was, yeah. uh, learn anything as far as good travel food or, or how you guys handle that? Yeah. So this year what we did different is, uh, actually did pre-made meals. So we made like fried rice, a ton of fried rice, made it and, uh, and then freezer packed it and froze it. And then, um, I think I did eight days or nine days of food for that for four people each day. Um, so froze it and then actually did uh, dry ice and a Yeti yep. and it kept it frozen for all those eight days. That's awesome. Um, and then we did, uh, we did mac and cheese, microwave mac and cheese, 
and then we did because we had a microwave in the Quigley, and then we did uh, the super cheap dollar, or you can buy like a twenty pack of burritos at Walmart for like three dollars. <laughs> yeah. We did a bunch of those, and we actually just like ate those as they dethawed. Not even warming them up. It, it kind of um, sounds like you basically eat on a hunting trip, like I ate during college. <laughs> yeah, you know, kind of. When you uh, when you go to eleven states and spend all of your money, you're still balling on a budget. Yeah, so. yeah, that's awesome. It's uh, uh, very minimal. That's the good stuff, though. Those are sometimes the best meals. It, you don't need anything fancy. It's just man, what do they say? They say uh, ex- I'm going to get the phrase wrong, but. Uh, like exertion is the best spice. Like after a long, hard day of work, it it makes the food taste better just so by virtue just of what happened. Sprinkle sprinkle some dirt on anything and mm-hmm. pretty much eat it at that point. Yeah, but our best meal was in South Dakota. We finally had like we finished early in the day, so we had like a couple hours at the end, and uh, we cooked up some backstraps for everyone. And we had six people in camp. That was the biggest camp, so that was really cool. We had we had a good time right at the end. Yeah. But yeah. That trip was literally more sun up to sundown, 14 days straight of hunting. It was so intense. And like when we were in Wyoming, it was like 10 miles a day, 12 miles a day. Uh, Nebraska was a little bit more laid back. And then I think in South Dakota, the one day we hunted, we did like 14 miles in a day. Would you do, would you do a trip like that again? Yeah. Yeah. We're planning one, um, this year. It's going to be a little different. Um, it's going to have an elk hunt in it, hopefully. Cool. So, um, but three states, probably same amount of time, right around the same time frame. Anything you would do differently, logistically or planning or, or anything like that, looking looking forward towards your next hunt? Specifically for the Western tour, maybe pick spots that are a little closer together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like find find the, the golden triangle, you know, of, of three states or something. If you're going to hit up states or two states, you know, if you want to hit up two states. You know, you go on right on the border of one mm-hmm. and then just jump across like two over-the-counter states. Um, maybe do that because like, some of our spots are like 12 hours apart. It's funny you bring that up because it also brings up another thing that I've sometimes debated internally. And I've kind of been forced to, to pull back on this a little bit just with, you know, stuff that goes on with family and everything. But I sometimes have debated in past years if it makes more sense to hunt a bunch of different states – but be bouncing from place to place and have time limits. Yeah. Um, or do you want to just focus on a couple? So that's super interesting you say that because that's my focus for this year. So explain that. What do you mean? In which way? So like this year we had three to five days in each state and it was hard. Like in most of these places, like Western tour, we had a little bit, but a lot of these places like Ohio, um, Iowa, um, West Virginia, uh, like all, all the other places I went, no previous experience. So we were just like showing up and we'd be like, all right, how do we kill a deer? <laughs> you know, pretty much. And, uh, we had three to three to four days, three to five days, sometimes two days to figure it out. And it was just draining and it was yeah. hard. So, um, this year we're, we're narrowing it down. I think I'm only going to five or six, which is still a lot, mm-hmm. but compared to 11, um, which was a lot, um, narrow it down, spend more time, you know, try to, um, essentially try to kill some bigger deer, you know, cause I, at my goal this year was like, if it gets me pumping a little bit and is like a good solid buck, I'll shoot it. Like I shot, you know, a couple two year olds and whatever. And I did that just for the adventure, you yep. know, go somewhere, try to figure it out, shoot a deer. Yeah. You know, that was my goal. 
um, which was awesome. But yeah, this year, I don't know, like I'm uh, hopefully going to draw in Kansas this year. Um, so I'll probably spend, you know, a solid seven, eight days planned for Kansas. Um, you know, just to spend some time out there. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, that has been a very, um, hot topic lately, especially talking with Bryce. We've been like strategizing on, on that. So I don't know, spend some more time in Michigan. I spend so much time in Michigan preparing food plots and everything. And it's like, I'm always gone. So it's like, I don't really get to hunt it. Uh huh. Yeah. You gotta, gotta give the home state some love. Yeah, I know. And it's like, it's most challenging of all of them, almost in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I certainly feel the same way. It's, yeah. uh, my buddy, uh, Dan Johnson, who's on the podcast a lot with me, uh, lives in Iowa and been telling him that for years. And finally he's going to come and hunt Michigan this year. Oh, so he'll, gosh. he'll finally get to see what we're talking about. He's probably not going to hunt it again. No, probably not. It's a once in a lifetime <laughs> thing. <laughs> So I'm actually really impressed you guys shot a buck on the back 40, to be like 100% honest. <laughs> it, was hit, just, it was touch and go there for a while, man. We yeah. didn't know. <laughs> just because I know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, it can be it can be tough, but yeah. managed to find a few every once in a while. So yeah. well, That's awesome. Got to work for them, that's for sure. So so you hunted, you hunted a whole bunch of whitetail states last year, like you just said, um, without – take another hour and going through every single yeah. one of those and t- talking your ear off. Was there anything that stood out across all of those as far as the most interesting or, or maybe not even that, but is there any hunt that sticks with you? Like you look back on it and you think to yourself, Oh man, that changed how I look at stuff or that was a huge screw up. I'll never do that again. Anything like that that stands out from your whitetail hunts? So Ohio first time hunting in Ohio had some um, buddies that I met actually from Michigan invited me down and they have um, a couple permission on some farms, some pretty awesome farms down there. But Ohio is different. Like there's not a lot of deer. Um, Like we probably only saw 10 deer in four days of hunting. Wow. And, uh, but they're quality deer. Like your opportunity to see a big one is a lot higher, you know, per deer. Um, so that was super interesting, um, kind of changed my perspective on things because a lot of times, um, and even, even in now thinking of Michigan and other spots, we, we try to hunt like where the deer are, like where a lot of deer are and, uh, maybe not necessarily all the time where the big bucks are, you know? True. So it's like sitting in spots where like, all right, you might not see a deer today, but when you do, it's going to be a good one, you know? I feel like a lot of times we get, we get caught up in, in wanting to see a lot of deer. Cause like there's spots in, in Michigan on the farm that we manage, but it's like, you can see 40 deer in a night and you'll see a two year old and a bunch of one year olds. But if you sat here, you might only see three deer, but the chances are a lot more. So I don't know. I, I get caught up in that a lot. I feel like. Yeah, that's a great point. And I feel like a lot of people do, you know, so that's a big shift going from hunting any deer to hunting the one mature deer. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, I've, I've done it. Like I, I've, uh, grinded out and, uh, try to shoot big deer and I've shot, I'm not even shot like a big deer in Michigan. Um, but I've shot a lot of like 110 inch deer, which I feel like is 160 inch deer in Iowa. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a so, different thing. Yeah. I, I, you know, somewhat figured something out but yeah i don't know that that made me kind of open my eyes on that a little bit um 
Then I go to – I've been to Louisiana the past three years, um, and that's totally different hunting down there. It's, uh, it's a really awesome uh, private chunk. It's like a, a hunt camp essentially, and uh, a buddy through archery, Austin, he, uh, he invited me down the past three years, and it's just like – it's just totally different. The deer – like you, you go hunting now like kind of like East Coast, West Virginia, hunting you know Iowa, Michigan, Louisiana – you learn a lot about deer just by doing that, you know, the, the, the different types, the way they react to things, you know, like Louisiana, we can drive a buggy, dump a pile of corn, go back and there's deer on it right away. If you did that in Michigan, if you did that, like any other place, you would never kill a deer ever. Right. You know, it's just like, I don't know, super eye opening, just the different types of deer, the behaviors, how they do things. I don't know. So what else is on the, on the, gauntlet for 2020 then kansas michigan which other states yeah. are gonna hit i have a calendar um <laughs> you got to dude. like of course. this is the only reason why western tour worked is because like i had somewhat of a game plan and deadlines and strategy so kansas um i'd like to make it back to south dakota um nebraska for sure hunting with tim just like to go hang out with tim and hunt with him it's awesome um elk is probably going to be in colorado um, I got some buddies out there that I'll probably tag along with. Um, other than that, that's like the four or the four states and then Michigan for sure. Um, I might dabble with Indiana this year cause it's close yep. and then probably zip down there a couple weekends, try to figure something out. Um, sleeper state. It is a sleeper state. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I might add, I'll probably will add one more. Oh, I'll go to Louisiana hopefully again this year for sure. Um, that's always a grand slam at the end. Cause, cause there's so many deer and it's awesome. Um, we go in January or right at the beginning of January, end of December, cause that's when the rut is. But yeah, I really want to hang around like that six, six States this year, just so I can spend more time, maybe multiple trips back. Um, yeah, I don't know. And then documenting that I'm not hundred percent sure how I'm going to do it this year. If I'm going to do it a day by day or a, uh, state series or what. Um, kind of depends on capacity on how fast we can get things turned around or yeah. whatnot. That's no easy task. That's for sure. People want content yesterday. They don't want it tomorrow. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, man, sounds like a fun, a fun schedule ahead of you. You got a good year planned out. Um, so with all those hunts coming up, you've got pressure on you to, uh, have successful hunts you're you've got a lot of people watching you now you of course are doing things on the tournament side as well what i want to know as we wrap this up is what are you doing right now from an archery side to make sure you're ready for all that stuff later in the year because because a lot of people are locked down right now we kind of mm-hmm. led with this early on and then i kind of forgot to dive into it there's a lot of people right now that probably have a little more time on their hands at home to be dialing in on the archery side maybe earlier than they usually do Mm-hmm. What what are you doing and what are some things that – some other ideas for people to really crank up their archery practice right now and, and do it in an intentional, thoughtful, quality way um, mm-hmm. since there's nothing better to do? <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, <laughs> right now, is it this springtime, I feel like for me, is always a good time to mess with the different equipment, 
Um, if it's like equipment you already have, you're just going to tweak around or, you know, maybe getting like a different set of arrows and messing around with that. Now it's just a great time to mess with equipment because we're far away from season other, other than turkey season. If you're going to like try to shoot one with the bow, um, but we're far enough away from season where you can like mess with stuff and, uh, tinker around. Um, and now's a good time. Um, I normally get my bows, my hunting bows dialed in and set up now, and then I'll shoot them like all summer long and like check up on them and make sure they're, they're doing good and everything, but get them set up now. I, I never like to rush and I've been in so many situations where I'm like, you know, day before, week before rushing to get something set up and then it's mm-hmm. never, it's never a hundred percent. So like past couple of years, um, my setups have been so dialed and so perfect early and then they, you know, and I shoot with them, get familiar with them. And, uh, you know, by the time September rolls around, they're already ready to go, you know? So yeah, now, now's a good time to really mess with your bow. And, uh, you know, like many of us right now and for the next week or two or however long, I hopefully not too much longer, but we're stuck inside and many people can't shoot. Um, but becoming familiar with your bow on like the technical side of stuff, if you can, and, uh, and diving into a lot of online content, you know, it, the most important thing for me too is confidence. And when I know my equipment, when I, uh, know, like I said earlier, when I, when I miss the deer or, or wound the deer or whatever, as long as I know what happened and I can fix it, you know, I'm in a better place. And I know that a lot because I know my equipment, I know my form. So it's like, now's a good time to study kind of, you know, we're stuck inside. It's understanding equipment, looking online, knowing how things work. You know, there's so many good, so many good and bad (laughs) resources online. Uh, So definitely pick and choose and kind of filter things out. But yeah, what are a few of your favorite resources for, for archery stuff? And then also you, you mentioned when we were talking mindset, early on yeah. you mentioned mm-hmm. a book something i can't remember who it was but something about winning yeah. are there any other books or people on the mindset side of things that would be interesting too yeah so a book um that i mentioned is with winning in mind by lanny bassam and it's not archery specific it's actually more like rifle shooting specific but he does talk about archery a little bit but it's all about mindset like that's the entire book it's kind of boring if you <laughs> if you're not deep into that but uh that's really good um, George Riles, um, has a lot of good segments called thing a week. If you just literally type in YouTube thing a week, he has like tons of very, um, in-depth detailed, um, videos on like one specific thing. It's like, you know, you're shooting hand or, or whatever. And he's done that for years. So you can find some really old ones, but George Riles, he's my coach down in Atlanta. He's he's won so many things. He's like he's like the pro that was like the top of the line pro like 15, 20 years ago. So now all he does is like coach. He still shoots. He actually made the Vegas shoot off like four years ago still. Wow. Um, yeah, super knowledgeable there. George Riles, you can find all of his stuff. Um, Joel Turner, Shot yeah. IQ for for anyone, bow hunters, trad people. Um even he he's big into uh oh yeah he's big into trad but tournament shooters anything for mindset even for shooting but for mindset especially um he's got a ton of stuff uh dudley dudley's got some good stuff of course yeah um but everyone pretty much knows that um yeah 
try to stay off archery talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me started. Yeah, that can get messy in there real that's, quick. That's yeah, that's crazy. Um, okay, so then final thing for folks once they do get outside and they're shooting, um, few tips for better practice for for good quality practice. Um, and then I get it's a two part. I do this a lot as I, really, I, I ask a question and then I add all these add ons. So sorry for that. <laughs> um, so tips for better practice. And then secondly, do you recommend people practice differently as the season progresses, as the year progresses? So so should we be practicing differently now than we would be in August than we would be in October? Right. I got gotcha. you. So. Um... Things you should focus on when you practice is to set goals for yourself and only compare against yourself at the distances you can shoot and at the skill level you can shoot. Um, a lot of people, when I get messages all the time, it's like, oh, I wish I could shoot what you shoot or, or you know, I'm not shooting as good as you or, or whatever. And, and now with social media and everything, you know, you can see all these people with their groups and their scores and everything. So you should really only compare against yourself and try to grow against yourself. Um, and don't wear yourself out. Obviously, you know, take it baby steps if you don't shoot a whole lot or anything. Um, but I guess that's one tip for practicing, like just in your backyard and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then throughout the season, um, what I like to do is I do like to stretch things out. And, uh, in a lot of my videos, I shoot far, you know, like 80 yards, 90 yards, hundred yards, and, uh, what that does is that really amplifies your mistakes. You know, it, it, uh, it opens up your groups, allows you to, um, try to tone in your groups at farther because like for me, if I shoot 20 yards, it's like, sure. Like I can really micromanage that in, but when you back up farther, it just amplifies everything so much for me, but that's not, you know, those far distances, could do the same thing for someone at 40 yards. You know, if someone, you know, can do a paper plate at 40 yards and try to dial that in, you know, I'm a paper plate at a hundred, you know, so everyone has their own distance that they really can max out and then zone in and then maybe max out a little bit more and then zone in. So it just makes you a better archer when you back it up a little bit. If you're always just shooting 20 yards, like that's all you do, 20 yards, that's it. Sure. You can like get better and everything, but um, unless you're scoring or unless you're like really, you know, paying attention to how your group size in, in, is and everything can't really improve per se or see your improvements. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's, that's something I've seen too. What about one way to get better at long distance shooting? Cause, cause I've always tried to stretch it out more and more and push myself. But then yeah. of course, like you just said, your groups open up, every mistake gets amplified. Uh, Anything we can be do, we can be doing to get better at those long shots, other than just doing it a lot. Yeah, well, it's not just one thing. And like the long shot, it's not getting good at the long shot. It's just like getting good at your shot. Yeah. So like a middle at twenty yards, if it's like dead nuts at twenty, it would have been dead nuts at a hundred. You know. Yeah. So it's like middle's middle. It's just you know how your shot is. So like really focusing on your form. You know, a lot of people worry so much about equipment 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 you know i gotta do this i gotta do that i gotta do this but then their forms jack you know so if it's you know there's so many things with form like i can't there's just not one thing you can point to but um 
like I said earlier, like if you really want to get better, or you're struggling, finding a coach, finding a pro shop, videoing yourself, you know, like putting your phone on a tripod, looking and then looking online, really analyzing it. Um, yeah, form form is so important. Like if you did the same thing, if your bow, let's just say your bow is so untuned, so jacked, your knock was sticking in the target. It was doing a somersault, <laughs> but it does that every single time. You know, your bow does the same thing every single time. You, like for real, it does. So like if your bow is so jacked, but you did the same thing every time and you shot every single time, you'd still shoot really good. Right. <laughs> you know, there's so many times like there's 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 uh professionals that'll like they tune their bow, but then they like untune their bow to get optimum groupings, essentially. It's for short term. And uh yeah, it's 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 all about your form. It's all about consistency. You can shoot you can shoot anything. You can pick up any bow, and as long as your form is good and, and everything, you can shoot good with it. So I feel like that's so over, especially in the world of, of everyone's like, ah, oh, FOC and all this crazy right. stuff. It's like, okay, calm down. The most important thing is, do you know how to shoot a bow? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's easy to get hung up on all the minutiae. I, I oh, yeah. I'm not yeah. good at the minutiae when it comes to like archery equipment and gear, so I've tended to to focus on the side that I feel some sense of confidence around, which is, which is trying to figure out good form and consistency and all that stuff. And then I just like outsource those other equipment things to the pro shop and say, Hey, help me make sure this stuff's lined right. up. Cause I can't yeah. keep track of it all. Um, yeah. So I don't know. That's good stuff, man. Um, I think you've got a, you've got a cool thing going. So I've, I've enjoyed hearing more about it today and and i think people people certainly will have too so if people want to see what you got going on follow your youtube videos or you on social media where can they find all this stuff yeah so just in youtube just search my name chris b b e just like the bumblebee gotta do it every single time or people are like no what's your full name (laughs) but uh yeah i'm youtube and uh instagram is chris b real and uh yeah follow along there and what kind of stuff should they expect over on YouTube here in the off season? So off season, um, I just did a bunch of bow build videos. So I like do start to finish on uh, bow builds, and people really love those. A um, lot of shooting, a lot of fun. I love doing like uh, funny trick shots, long shots. So we do a lot of entertaining stuff in the off season. Um, so yeah, we're I'm looking forward to a little bit warmer temperatures, so yeah. we can do a lot a lot more cool stuff outside. Very cool. Well, I'll make sure to uh, send folks check all that out. And I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk about all this stuff. Yeah, no problem. It was fun. I enjoyed it too, Chris. Let's uh, stay in touch and good luck this season. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. And that is it for us today. Thank you for listening. Make sure to check out all of Chris's stuff. Like I mentioned, it's good stuff. It's fun. A lot of good information and hunts to follow along with. So enjoy that stuff. Otherwise, Just be safe out there, folks. I just hope and pray that everyone in our Wired Hunt community is healthy and safely at home with your friends or your family, whoever you live with, and that you're all doing well. I'm thinking of all of you. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam 
can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.